Let's pray. God, we thank you for this awesome day. Um, Open all of our hearts and minds to come to know you more in knowledge uh, and let all that knowledge go deep into our hearts at the same time, God. Um, May we be open today to hear your word and what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, I'm going to talk about the Trinity. Uh, That's Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is a really important doctrine. And I was thinking about it, and I asked Dad, too. I was like, have we ever, like, had a series or a speaking on the Trinity? Because I don't recall it. Uh, Obviously, you know, the Trinity comes up often. I mean, that's God. So that comes up often, but actually going into detail on teaching it. And and Dad said the only time he remembered was one time when Malcolm spoke on it long ago. So I'm excited about this. I'm going to do, says part one, because I'm going to have it in three parts, um, because there's a lot to go over. So let's jump right into it. Okay. This thing works. Let me see. Okay. New problem. So, of course, the word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Bible, and that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of words that aren't found in the Bible, but we, we've come up with words to help explain a whole category of things, like eschatology, that means the study of end times. So, eschatology is not in the Bible, that word. And then theology, that's the study of God and how, who he is and how he works. That word theology isn't found in the Bible, it's simply a word that, that we've come up with to help describe that. And Trinity is the word that we've come up with to try to describe what the Bible clearly teaches on who God is. This is a clear teaching in Scripture. If you remember when I uh, talked about the sovereignty of God uh, a couple weeks back, this was one of the doctrines that I said is something we would divide over. That's how crucial and big of a deal it is. There's other minor things that we can disagree on. There's other verses we could disagree on. That's fine. It, it doesn't change who God is, and it doesn't change how he requires us to live. But there are major things, and this is one of those major things. Sometimes the Trinity is described as, people will say it like this, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I don't really think there's anything wrong with saying it that way, but I don't think it's uh, perfectly doctrinally correct to say it that way, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I would rather say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? Because the three of them, even though I'm saying them, they are one. And the three of them are God. You don't talk to the Holy Spirit without talking to God. You don't talk to Jesus without talking to God. You don't talk to the Father without talking to God. They are all one. And so God is Father, Son, and Spirit. That's how he has clearly revealed himself in Scripture. That is who God is. And so I don't think there's anything wrong when people say it that way. That is perfectly fine, as long as they're understanding that, yes, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, and they are all one. As long as there's that understanding, that's perfectly fine. People will say it in all kinds of ways, uh, but it's a complex thing. So I like to say that God is one, and he's complex in his unity. Okay? He is one, but his unity is complex. So there's nothing wrong with saying the Holy Spirit's God, the Son is God, the Father is God. That's, that's perfectly fine. And we even find 
Paul talking in the Bible at times, he'll say things like God and his son, Jesus. But then at other times, he'll address Jesus as God. So the point is, the, all the apostles and Jesus, they'll use all the names interchangeably. Like there'll be times G, or Paul will be talking about Jesus and then he'll immediately jump to God in the same context and then he'll say Jesus again because they're all one. And he's just trying to make that point. We're going to get to a lot of the New Testament scriptures at another time. We'll look at a couple um, today, but mostly we're going to be in Old Testament today, which is going to be really fun. So why is this doctrine so important that we know it and that we study it and we look at it in scriptures? Because almost every cult that has ever come about has diminished the testimony that Jesus is God. They have somehow said Jesus is not God. Mormons say that Jesus is just a man. He was a man created by God and he earned Godship. That's what they teach. They also teach that God himself was once a man and he earned Godship. Okay, so some huge differences there. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is just a glorified man. He's a glorified prophet. He was a wonderful, awesome man. He's glorified. And they say he's just a created being and we're actually allowed to worship him. Okay, this is heresy. This is why we divide over such a big thing. We are to worship one God. There's only one we bow the knee to, not to a glorified man. Even New Age people, if you haven't noticed, they usually have a very high respect for Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus was an awesome guy. He was all about love. Yeah, Jesus is great. They have like a high respect for him, but they also have a high respect for Gandhi and for Buddha and for Muhammad. And they say, Jesus, he was just an amazing man. They don't believe that he is the son of God and God himself, God in flesh. So this is a huge thing that we divide over because it's so crucial. This is who God is. Make sense? Um, The other reason that I want to study this and look at it is, and to me the more important reason, is as his children, we should want to know who our daddy is. We should want to understand him more. We should want to come to know him more, and we should want to have a desire to study out scripture. You know, I grew up knowing the doctrine of the Trinity. I grew up knowing all of this, but not until I really got hungry to discover more and I studied it for myself and studied all the passages that pertain to it. And I mean, the, the, this is the amazing thing. I've read the Bible more and more and more and more and more as life goes on and it becomes more and more and more and more exciting to me. Year by year, I am excited to read the word. I'm excited to discover things and I come to know him more and more and more year by year. Uh, uh, here's Mark 1. It's not on there. Oh, yeah. Mark 1, uh, verse 10 says this. No. That's not it. Should I just read it? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is New Testament, but I just want to show you one of the clearest verses that shows the Trinity. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, so here's Jesus, here on earth, God made flesh. He saw heaven being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So right there we have the son and the spirit and God, and God, see, look, I did it myself, and the father speaking from heaven. 
All three of them. And so this is the fascinating thing about the Trinity is we can understand how multiple parts can make one thing, right? It's, it's pretty easy of a concept to understand. You know, uh, there's me, Mallory, Enoch, Ethan, and Emma. And the five of us, five different beings, we are one family. Okay? And, and if one of them is removed, that's not the whole family. That's not the whole being of the family. In the same way with God, you can't simply remove one of them from the Trinity and say, it's God, I'm addressing God. No. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So all of those things are one. However, whereas we all have completely different personalities in my family, God, all of the character is the exact same. Father, Son, Spirit, they are the divine being that is God, and the, all their character and all their will is in line with one another. It is perfectly in line with one another. There's not like the Holy Spirit's going to go rogue, right? <laughs> and do something that was apart from the Father's will or something apart from Jesus' will. Jesus is not going to go rogue and do something apart from the Father or the Holy Spirit. Whatever one of them is doing, they are representing all of them. Okay? Trying not to confuse you, but it's... It's an intense thing to go over. Um, so what I want to do today is explore what are called theophanies. This is, in the theophanies mean divine appearances. And so this is in the Old Testament. There are times where it seems as though God himself appears to people. And they address him as God, or sometimes they say, I, I, I fear for my life because I've seen God. Okay, um, and we're going to look at those, and these are actually in Jewish teachings today. It's called theophanies. It's divine appearances of God. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Next one, please. Next one, please. Yeah, next is Mark. Mark 12, yeah. Uh, And one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. And Jesus answered. So he's reiterating. The reason this is worded a little bit different is because it's from the Greek Septuagint that that Jesus was quoting, because most of the people spoke Greek, so they had made a translation. So people who say, translations are evil and twisted, we need the original. Jesus quoted from translations (laughs) all the time. (laughs) He quoted from the Septuagint. So if it's good enough for him, translations are good enough for me. Uh, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now here's what's interesting. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God. You, one person, you shall love the Lord your God. That's a single, right? with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He is talking to an individual and splitting you into four parts. He's saying, you, you need to... And so we're made in the image of God. We, we, that's why we can understand this to a degree. Even people in the world can understand this. Um, so first of all, the Hebrew word there for one is echad, which... 
it simply means one. It's the exact same as in our language if we were talking about one. It's the same word that the Bible uses when it says he created the, the, the light and the dark and they made one day. So he's talking about two things that made one day. It's the exact same word that he used when he said Adam and Eve will become echad flesh. They'll become one flesh. It's the exact same word. And then um, it's the same word that he used when he talked about the tabernacle. And he goes down the list of all the different things, speaking to Moses, says there's going to be the Holy of Holies, there's going to be this room, there's going to be this separate place, there's going to be the walls like this, and all of these together will make one tabernacle. Okay, so it's right there in Scripture as well that it's perfectly fine because Jews today will dispute this, uh, Jews that aren't following Jesus. There are many who do follow Jesus as their Messiah. Um, but they'll dispute this and say, oh, the, the Lord is one. And it's like in the very next verse... It's, it divides you into four parts. One person divided into four parts. Um, mm-hmm, said all that. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. All he needed to say was sanctify you, but then he listed it into four parts. Jesus himself, when he's talking to the disciples, remember uh, when he was out at the Garden of Gethsemane and he took three of them apart with him and said, watch and pray, like, please, I need you to pray with me. And they all fell asleep, right? This happened three times. He comes back, and what does he say to him? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So he's saying, you've got two parts battling inside of you. Two parts, one person, one being. Now, with, with God, we like to say that he is three persons in one being. It's not a perfect word because there are no perfect words to describe this immensely complex, amazing God. We just, but that's the best way to describe it because all three of them seem to be able to do things in different areas, uh, not apart from one another's will, but apart from each other. And yet they are one God. Okay? But with us, it's like there's these two beings inside of one person. And so you can listen to people just talking about like their feelings versus their thoughts. Their thoughts versus an experience or something they felt. Right? And how many of you have had a time, your mind saying one thing, telling you to call you know, all these things, and, but you decide to say something else. So there's two conflicting things going on here. But we would say your thoughts are you, right? And your actions are you. And your emotions are you. But all these things are separate. So sometimes people complicate it like, how can it be? But like, I like to give analogies. I'm going to give a couple today. But one of them is just like, if I had the ability, I don't have the ability, but if I had the ability to be laying in bed and send my spirit over to Daniel's house and talk to Daniel, and then Daniel said, Joel's spirit was in my house, and Joel said this. Somebody would say, Joel didn't say that. That was just his spirit. He's over in his house. It doesn't matter. His spirit is him. They are one. Like, it was still Joel. Obviously, I don't have this ability. If I could then send, if then I could send my mind over to talk to Josh and say thanks to him, he would say, the mind of Joel came to me, and Joel said this. He would still attribute it to me. Does that make sense? So we don't have that ability. God has that ability. 
the other one I like to give is the sun, the sun up in the sky, S-U-N, okay? It is said that nobody can see the core of the sun. It's impossible. We're seeing something when we look up there. You can't look at it for very long. We're seeing something, but nobody can actually see the core of the sun. It's, it's impossible. It dwells in unapproachable light, if you will. Nobody can get near it. We can't come up with anything that could be made that could get near that sun without burning up. Okay? It's, it's impossible. And yet, we see something shining down on us, right? God cannot be seen in his fullness. The Father, I believe, Scripture teaches, the Father cannot be seen except through Jesus. He is that which shines forth. He is that which comes forth from the Father. The Father is the source of all things, and yet everything was made through Jesus because he is that which comes forth from, forth from the Father. So if somebody looked up at the sun and was like, yep, that's the sun, okay? But, and yet we know that we can't truly see the core of the sun. We're just seeing sh- something shining forth. Furthermore, I would liken the Holy Spirit to, I can step outside and stick my hand out in the sun. I can feel the sun. And it's really far away. And if somebody said, what's that heat I feel? I would say, it's the sun. And they said, that's not the sun, that's the sun. It doesn't matter. That's still the sun you're feeling. Right? It's one thing, and it has multiple parts. There's rays of the sun that come forth. The Holy Spirit is that which goes throughout the earth and comes upon people where they can feel him, encounter him, and hear him. Make sense? So now we're going on from there. We've got to get to... The Theophanies. Yeah. Um, so the dis- I want to just clarify, the disciples, their holy scriptures, all the apostles, everything they taught, that was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament written out. And so I, I did have points, I took it all out because I'm, I'm going to sh- share it at another time, but it was just all about the notion where people try to separate the Father from His Son and say, the God of the Old Testament did this, and it seems like it's a different God in the New Testament. That is absolutely absurd, and it is heresy. <laughs> Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. Let's look at John 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That's the Father. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If you see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. You're seeing the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. It's the exact same. Excuse me. Uh, Let's go to the next one. 1 John 4. So so look what Jesus just said in the book of John. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now look what John says. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So again, this is a teaching of the Old Testament. Nobody can see God. And yet we have multiple times where it seems like people saw God. And John is reiterating in the New Testament, nobody's ever seen God. We take scripture as a whole, we understand this to say nobody's seen the fullness of God. Nobody's seen the Father. If we love one another, God abides in us. Um, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us, there it is, his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Let's go to 
the next verse. That's Exodus 33. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And this is the truth today. Nobody may see all of God in all of his goodness and live. It's not possible. Then the Lord said, there's a place near, and you guys know the story. He puts him in the cleft of a rock, and he walks by, and he says, I'll let you see my back as I'm walking by, but you can't see my face. My face must not be seen. As far as I can tell from my reading of Scripture, this is the one and only time that anybody saw God the Father, or maybe it was their whole being altogether. Um, This is the only time I can find in Scripture where this actually took place, is right here with Moses. The other times, and I'm going to show you how I believe all the other times, it was the sun that people were seeing. It was the shining forth. It was the word of God that comes out of his mouth, which is Jesus. Because God's not lying. He means it. Nobody can see my face and live. So how do we reconcile this with the other verses that seem to say people did see him? So we're going to look back at some of these Old Testament scriptures where it seems like people saw him. And I want to let you know, even Jewish commentaries today, even their writings and their musings on what the scriptures mean, because it's all... Old Testament is what their holy scriptures are, and those who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, many of them do. But for those who don't, even their commentaries say that people did see God in the Old Testament. So how do they reconcile the two? God cannot be seen, nobody's allowed to see him, and yet people saw him. Exodus 24, verse 9. I hope you have your study caps on, you know? We're just studying today. Moses, Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of that thing, as bright blue as the sky. But And then it says, and God did not raise his hand against these elders of Israel. They saw God, they ate and drank. So this is verses away, I mean, chapters away from the account where Moses is told by God, you can't see my face. And yet here it says, they saw the God of Israel. And it wasn't just a vision, because why would it specifically say he didn't strike them? (laughs) If it was just a vision, there's no need to put that. He's saying they saw the God of Israel. Some Jewish commentaries say, oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't actually the God of Israel. It was, it was, Something else, it was an angel. And then other commentaries say, yeah, it's true. They saw the God of Israel. They don't know how to reconcile it, but they saw the God of Israel. Uh, Next one, Numbers 12, 8. With him, speaking of Moses, God speaking of Moses, with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So it says right there, he's seeing the form of the Lord. Again, this is in the same context of he asked for more. He was like, show me your glory. He, he knew there was more of all of the goodness of God. And yet he spoke with someone face to face 
as one talks to a friend and he saw the form of the Lord. I would present to you the only way to reconcile that is that was Jesus. That was the Son that proceeds forth from the Father. He is that that we're actually able to see. There are numerous appearances appearances of the angel of the Lord in Scripture. It's listed like that, the angel of the Lord. Other times it says an angel appears to somebody. The things that are distinct are when an angel appears to someone. It's usually they say, this is what the Lord is saying, or they say, I'm bringing a message to you. But oftentimes there'll be this phrase, the angel of the Lord, and then it goes to first person speaking as if it is God speaking. There's no like, here I came from God. It's like they just start speaking as if they are God. And the word angel is malech in, uh, in Hebrew, and it just means messenger. Uh, so here is the next verse. And the angel of the Lord reached out. This is uh, Gideon met with the angel of the Lord is what it says. And he's talking to him. And then he says, can I bring uh, some food back for you? And can you, he's kind of asking for a sign. Like, can, can you show me that it's truly you I'm talking to? And he comes back and he, he pours out uh, this stuff on a rock. And before this, a, the angel of the Lord, and it says the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not be afraid, you shall not die. If it was just an angel, he shouldn't have feared for his death. Um, then Gideon built an altar in that place. Another thing that I find when the angel of the Lord shows up, oftentimes there's some kind of sacrifice that actually takes place uh, for the, the angel of the Lord or towards the angel of the Lord. This is not to be done for angels, um, for just an angel. Again, I can't be dogmatic about every single one of these and say absolutely that one is Jesus, is the Son, but some of them are more clear than others. Let's go to the next one. Oh, oh, yeah, but uh, there, there was a, just a little verse in there that I wanted to share, too, that says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And this is a phrase that is used many times, where the Spirit of the Lord clothes someone. It, it, it almost is like he put them on like a glove. Like the Holy Spirit was at work all throughout the Old Testament. We see it constantly where it says the Spirit of God came on somebody and empowered them to do something. Now, Moses was keeping the flock. Let me just ask you, who does Moses meet in the burning bush? Everybody would say God. Everybody would always say God. Let's read the account. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Herob, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, again, it's the angel of the Lord. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. This is clearly God speaking out of the bush. Remember, he even says, I am. I am that I am. Tell him I am sent you. He demonstrates his power. This is not an angel, it is the angel of the Lord. It is 
Jesus. It is the Son. It is God himself speaking to Moses. And I think most of us, when we have read that before, we've just been like, oh yeah, and anybody in retelling the story, we would say, God, God was speaking to Moses, right? But this says the angel of the Lord, then it immediately addresses him as God. And then, of course, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at who? God. This is, in Jewish theology, they would call it a theophany. They're saying, yes, there was, an, there was a divine appearance of God. We can't explain it, but there it is. Now the angel of the Lord, next one. Um, now the angel of the Lord went up from, um, well, this one, yeah, from Gilgal and, and Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt. Again, there are other times when an angel shows up, an angel of the Lord, and he says, this is what God is saying to you guys, or I have a message from you. This one immediately goes to first person and claims the place of God. Uh, let's go to the next one. Well, look at the whole one there. Oh, I like this one. This one is not the angel of the Lord, but look at what happens here. Then Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So this is before they're going to go take over Jericho. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. What happened when uh, John in Revelation bowed before an angel? Anybody remember? He said, get up, don't worship me, you worship only God. Did this angel of, or not angel, did this commander of the army of the Lord tell him to get up and stop worshiping? No. He accepted the praise. And worshiped, and, and Joshua said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, the same thing he said to Moses. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There are many people who encountered an angel. They were never asked to do something like that. Because this is the same that met with Moses in the burning bush. Uh, You guys having fun with this? I know it's more just like diving into teaching, but I I love this stuff. Uh, (laughs) I love it. All right. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> this one is, the, to me, the most telling. There's, there's no way around it. And the Lord, and the Hebrew word there, is Yahweh. Sometimes Lord is Adonai. It simply means a Lord, but we can still, they would still address God with that word as well, with Lord, Adonai. But this one is actually Yahweh, the sacred name. And it says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. It says Yahweh was there. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So this is uh, Abraham, and he looks, and there's three men. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Next. Skipped a whole bunch. But then it says, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. So it's talking about the three men. But clearly, if you go back and read the account, he has a dialogue with Yahweh. He has a dialogue with the Lord. He's addressing one of them as the Lord, and they have a dialogue. And then it says the men turned and went down to Sodom, but Abraham, so two of the men we see later, they were angels. If you read the whole account, the two other were angels. That's clear and evident, but it says, so 
Two of them went down, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because he had told Abraham, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and then he says, will you really? And look at how Abraham addresses him. Uh, verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Be, uh, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Um, he's speaking to Yahweh. <laughs> There's no way around it. He is speaking to God. And if God cannot be seen, then who's he speaking to? It's the Son. The Son is, this is what is revealed through the New Testament. The Son is the one we are able to see. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because we're one. Um, so according to the Talmud, which is um, ancient Jewish writings, and, and it's actually, they like paraphrase the Bible. They did it in uh, Aramaic. The, the uh, Greek and Aramaic was what the people were speaking when Jesus was there. A lot of people still knew Hebrew, but the, the Bible was read in the synagogues in Aramaic. And these writings were already there way back when. When Jesus came, those writings were there. They already had these things. And... It says in the Talmud that it was an angel who appeared to Abraham when they commentary on that spot. But then later in the Talmud, it contradicts itself, and it says, Abraham saw the Holy One, blessed be he, standing at the door of the tent. So they recognize it was the Holy One that Abraham saw. So the, the ancient rabbis also dealt with the question of how could the invisible God interact with human beings and make himself known. And they came up with this word called memra. And the word memra means the word. Okay, this is something they would have been hearing in the synagogues when Jesus came. And they used that word to personify God. In other words, God's word, it was depicted as an extension of himself. They would use that word memra, the word of God. And they say that the Memra could perform his divine will. And they developed this concept from verses like this, Psalms 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And the word there in Hebrew, they used Memra. And then they, they developed it more and were saying, like, the memra is actually something that comes forth from God. It is the word, and it can do his divine will. Go to the next one. <clears throat> Pretty please. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. For the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, my memra, be that, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. <clears throat> it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so off of these two verses, they develop this concept of the word of the Lord. It personifies him. It's the way people are able to actually see him. This, this was in their teachings when Jesus came. It was already being spoken in the synagogues. 
<clears throat> yeah, he is the word. Let's go to the next one. So I want to say the most dramatic example of this is found in God's creation. It says he spoke and things took place, right? The word of God was creating things. In the New Testament, they teach us the father is the source of all things, but everything was made through Jesus, the word. Everything was made through him. And so, uh, let me see here. I'm going to show you a couple of verses here. No, next. There we go. This is what, what the scripture says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. In the Targum, the Aramaic paraphrase, if you will, it's kind of like some of our translations that are more paraphrases. They, they, they shouldn't be your main thing that you read, probably. It's more of a paraphrase. But in theirs, their paraphrase, and it was also the thing that they would orally speak to the synagogue. This is what they would orally say instead. Right there, they would say, the word of the Lord created man. It says God created man. They would speak in the synagogue when they were sharing it and say, the word of the Lord created man. Next one says, rise up. Uh, Yeah, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. In the Targum, it says, arise, O word of the Lord. In Genesis, uh, oh no, in Isaiah, next one says, but Israel is saved by the Lord. In the Targum, it reads, Israel is saved by the word of the Lord. And then the most dramatic one is Genesis 28, 21. He's gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up. Here we go. Um, and Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and I will keep him in this way, and then he goes on to say, then the Lord shall be my God. In the Targum, it reads, if the word of God will be with me, then the word of the Lord will be my God. So this is something they would have been hearing in their synagogues, this concept of the memra, which is called the word, and it was already uh, spoken to them and taught to them that the word is God. And these verses that they paraphrased themselves were saying things like, if the word of God will be with me, the word of the Lord shall be my God. Let's just go to our last verse here then. Oh, no. I'll read it to you guys. Here we go. This is where we'll end. So with all of that in mind, everything I've been showing you there, this is the opening of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Memra. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And he is in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. How were they made? Through the words of God. This is Jesus. He is the word of God that comes forth. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down a few. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Obviously, that's talking about as a whole. The people did not receive him, because all of the first disciples and all of the first apostles for many, 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 many years were all Jewish. 
they all believed he is the word. He is the memra that came forth from the mouth of God. <clears throat> but to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the same as tabernacled just like he did in the midst of Israel in the tent where his glory was. It says, he became flesh and tabernacled. It's like he put on flesh, and he lived and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then, this is where I'm ending with John here. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He addresses right there, nobody's seen God, but the only God at the Father's side, he's made him known. We know John wasn't teaching there were multiple gods. There's one God, but the word of God came forth and is at the Father's side, was with him in the beginning. There you go, that's part one of the Trinity.